In Navajo culture, you just don't talk about death. It's considered taboo. To talk about it is to bring it upon you. But what if you dream about it? There's like all white, a hallway kind of, but everything was white. And this like a distance where there was a horse that was saddled at the end. I could just see it. That's the only thing. But the horse didn't move. It just looked at me. Margarita Donald can't help but talk about death. Her husband died in a car crash when her children were young. Two of her four children died in their 20s. And she recently nursed her father in his final days. My dad was the biggest, the biggest hit for me. It is hard. Wow, yeah. yeah. You've weathered many storms. Yes, I have. I have been through a lot. This is Two Lives. Stories of people who've survived harrowing things and how those experiences transformed them in some way, gave them new life. From KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Laura Morales. When COVID first hit the Navajo Nation, it quickly spread. In fact, the tribe had the highest coronavirus infection rate in the country per capita. To understand why, well, it can all be traced back to broken treaty promises by the federal government. But that's another podcast. In the early days of the pandemic, Margarita was transferred to the Tupa City Regional Healthcare Center and its respiratory unit. It was the bomb. It was great to talk Navajo to a lot of the elders. The interpreting was really fulfilling, I think. They found me to be the only interpreter inside the, the unit. And that was my main goal, is helping the elders out. The minute I meet Margarita, it's like someone has turned up the dimmer switch in the room. Her bright, positive energy is just so infectious. Here she is telling me that her oldest just turned 30. You do not look old enough to have a (laughs) 30-year-old. Oh, yeah. And even though she has to suit up in personal protective equipment, that full body armor every day, Margarita loves translating Navajo, being that bridge to understanding for elders. She feels needed, important, and she is. When it comes to nursing, there's more than a 30% vacancy rate on the Navajo Nation. There's high turnover because it's a hard place to work, and it's hard to be away from your family. It's pretty isolated. Because of that, when you then have a crisis like this where nursing is absolutely essential, it's basically the foundation for all of this care, the nursing shortage becomes more acute. Diana Hu is a pediatrician at the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Center. She's watched Margarita in action and says that assistants and nurses like her deserve a huge shout out right now. But they're really on the front lines of this thing. It's real hard to work with critically ill and dying patients knowing that we really don't have a lot to offer them because we don't have a medicine that can cure them. We don't even have a a predicting very well who's going to do well and who's not going to do well. And when people get sick, they get sick. I mean, they crash and burn. Diana Hu is a member of the Navajo epidemiology team, and she says healthcare workers are stressed out. You know, they're wearing this full PPE, and we can't even 
say hi to each other with, you know, people smiling at each other because you can't see each other's smile. Then you can't give each other hugs and you can't comfort someone physically, which is important. You know, we're doing the same thing in social distancing in the regular population, but it's even more critical, I think, in healthcare. They're putting their health, their lives really, at risk. Hospitals around the country changed protocols overnight. The Navajo hospitals were no different. Administrators changed patient flow so COVID-positive patients wouldn't be around other patients. They set up an outdoor triage tent and alternative care sites in high school gyms across the Navajo Nation for people who weren't ready to go home or couldn't self-isolate at home. This was a Facebook Live video of Navajo President Jonathan Nez touring one of those alternative care sites. Good afternoon, everybody. Teresa was just showing me the copper tubes for the oxygen, right? Yes. What we envision here, ladies and gentlemen, is to relieve some of the pressure with patients and free up some beds over there at the main hospital. So the hospital employees had to adjust quickly to the new ways of doing things. I was so careful, at least I thought I was, but you're kind of rushing because you have a 15-minute break and your 15-minute break is cut into taking all that stuff off and then putting it all back on and then every hallway is like shut down and you have to go through all the way around to eat on the other side. And so when I got home, I always um, kept my clothes to myself. Everything was in my truck. And then I took a shower as soon as I got there. I mean, I, I was like on a routine. But when Margarita traced back over her weeks at the hospital, there was one moment when a patient couldn't hear her over all of the beeping and the humming of the machines. We all know what it's like to try to communicate with a mask on. It feels like you're shouting, and then you may not even be understood. But with all this hospital noise, it's almost impossible to be understood. There's a couple times when I was interpreting for a doctor that was trying to explain DNR for a patient, see how she wanted to, to deal with the end of her last stage of life while she was still aware of the whole thing. And so I was interpreting, there was a couple of times I took my mask off because she couldn't understand me because her, her oxygen machine was like really loud in there. And she kept saying, what? I don't understand. I don't understand. It was likely at that precise moment when she took her mask off to be heard to help this patient understand hospital procedures that she made herself vulnerable to the disease. Her daughter had also tested positive after visiting Margarita on Mother's Day. So Margarita notified her supervisor and got tested. It came back positive for COVID. Even if I got it, I thought maybe I could handle it. You know, I thought I was still young or whatever. My immune system, I can fight it. Mm-mm. Within a couple of days, she started feeling congested. Then came the fever the vomiting, the diarrhea, the body aches, and the shortness of breath. You know when you're a nurse, you're thinking, okay, let's try this and try this, but it just never took it. I had a different hold on my body. It was just crazy. and It just took over the whole body and had no control over the symptoms. At first, Margarita insisted on taking care of herself, but soon she just had no energy. So her son, Tyler, took care of her. 
He cooked for her, prepared traditional herbs, even helped her to the bathroom. We kind of felt like taking care of a baby, I guess. Seeing her vulnerable like that was, was hard. Tyler said the nights were the worst. I was just watching her, you know, like her trying to breathe and just watching her in pain, me not being able, being able to do anything about it. Couldn't, I couldn't do nothing. There was nothing to, I could do. Then one night, it became unbearable. She couldn't breathe. So she got up, went to her son's truck, and turned the air conditioning on. She put her face right up to the vent to try to push air into her lungs. That night, I could not sleep. It was so intense to where I was, like, hallucinating. I had, um, like, what we call a vision. That was the night Margarita saw that horse. It was, like, all white, a hallway kind of, but everything was white. And just, like, a distance where there was a horse that was saddled at the end. And with the bridle and everything, it was, I could just see it. That's the only thing. But the horse didn't move. It just looked at me. I told some of my family. They said that if you were to get on, that would be the end of your life. But Margarita did not get on that horse. At first light, she called the ambulance and woke up Tyler. The hospital was so far, and the ambulance had to navigate a maze of dirt roads to get to her, that Tyler finally just drove her to meet the ambulance. Seeing her getting loaded up in ambulance, I got teary-eyed a little bit. With the whole virus deal and not being able to go see her, you know, when she gets to the hospital, it was rough. I I felt helpless. It was just me. They took her to a hospital in Cayenta, where COVID first struck the reservation. The doctor was going to discharge her that night until they did a last-minute CT scan and found her lungs filled with fluid. The Navajo hospitals were so overwhelmed with patients, they were flying dozens of people a day to Albuquerque, Flagstaff, Phoenix, and Scottsdale. That night, they put Margarita on a plane bound for Scottsdale. My sister and my family were worried, and so my sister called the ER and she already knew where I was going before I even knew. And then she put it on Facebook and the Facebook told me <laughs> I was going to be flown. I'm all like, hello, I'm right here in the ER. Why can't you guys tell me first, you know? Down in Scottsdale, they put a pick line or this long, thin tube into a large vein in her hand. That way she could receive antibiotics intravenously. The pain was so bad, I just like totally passed out. I could not handle it. Um, they kept talking about a ventilator, and I said no four times. I said, do the, the antibiotic treatment first. In late May, a study published in Critical Care Medicine said that 35% of COVID patients who required ventilators died. 35%. That's actually much lower than earlier reports. Still, Margarita had seen too many patients lose that fight. Luckily, the antibiotics started to kick in the next day. By the fourth day, she could actually breathe again. By day five, Margarita had had enough. She left against medical advice and against the wishes of her family. Her nephew drove her to Flagstaff, where they met her son, Tyler. I did pretty good. I was like, no oxygen, no nothing. I said, okay, okay, I can handle this. And so we got to fly here, and I got out of the car. Oh my goodness, it felt like an elephant sat on my chest. 
I was like coughing and coughing. I was like ready to pass out. I was like, oh my gosh. I said, this is crazy. I said, so then I barely got to the truck and I got into the truck and I told my son, I said, turn the air on. And so he had it blasting on my face and I was trying to breathe. And I said, like, okay, let's just go. I said, I think we need to go to the ER because he almost called the ambulance. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the ER again. I said, no. I tried telling her, let's, let's go back to the hospital. Let's see if this get checked at least. We're both kind of strong-willed, I guess you could say. We, me and her get in disputes sometimes, and I tried telling her to be left too early, but she's not one to be told what to do. <laughs> Margarita convinced Tyler to take her home to Shanto, but that night she slept in Tyler's truck again, forcing air into her lungs. She could feel the anxiety of just trying to breathe. The following morning... She went back to the ER. The hospital wanted to admit her, but she refused, saying she knew enough to handle her own care. She spent the next week and a half on oxygen and developed her own sort of rehab routine. She'd take bits of hay, one slice at a time, to her animals. I started going to like the sheep corral, chasing out the sheep, and then I would go to the horse corral, and then we had six horses, so I would like take one slice to one horse, come back, take another slice. And so it's kind of like an exercise <laughs> kind of thing. Sometimes, too, I would, like, go for a little bit longer walks. And then I'd, I'd have my earphones on and i start singing. I can't sing and walk. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? And so that took a while. It took six weeks to completely get off the oxygen. She flirted with the idea of going back to work at the Navajo Hospital in Tuba City during the pandemic. I thought about it for a long time to see, oh, should I go back? Oh, man. But I, I was too too scared. And my family are like, are you crazy? And I was like, <laughs> but I would never go through that again. I practically saw my life flash before my eyes. Over the past few months, Margarita's had a couple of epiphanies. One resulted from her sister's post on Facebook announcing that Margarita was in the hospital with COVID. And then that's when it really exploded. I got like bombarded with calls and with texting and my aunts were like calling. They just like start crying. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so it kind of opened my eyes a lot. And my brothers, they call you and they just start crying and they're like, you're okay, are you gonna be okay? You know, and I was like, it just made me realize that I was an important person to a lot of people. It took almost dying for people to show Margarita how much she meant to them. When Margarita told me this, I cried too. I thought it really shouldn't take a trip to the hospital to know how much you matter to those around you. The virus gave me a different direction and mindset and made me realize the importance of living, especially to my family. I didn't realize how big of an impact I was until that. It was about this time that Margarita started to pay attention to her dreams too. My dad came to visit me and he actually, we, we actually talked like he was actually alive. I told him about my vision and then he, he says, maybe you should have got on. He said, cause he's a cowboy. He went to rodeos and he's all like, you should have got on the horse. 
and he was kind of joking because he always jokes and he's never a serious guy and so when he's mad we're, I mean we're not even sure if he's mad or if he's joking and all the way up to his death I was always scared of him when he like yells at me I like okay all right let's go do it you know and then in her dream her dad did speak sincerely in our tradition you don't talk about when you're going to die your plans or anything like that and he he told me um that i did a good job at the funeral thank you for taking care of me and then he told me that i was the only one that um stepped up to it that sounds so, like he's healing for you yeah it was the title of this podcast is two lives it's based on a quote by confucius who said we are all given two lives The second one starts the moment you realize you only have one. So now Margarita is starting her second life of sorts. She's completing her lifelong dream of becoming a real nurse. Not a medical assistant, but the real deal. And she finally has the confidence to go through with it. I am not messing around. (laughs) I applied online for the Aspen College and I was already accepted the following week. I've been trying all these, I couldn't get in, but there's always a waiting list or whatever. And it just happened. I don't think anything's gonna stop me now, I said. (laughs) This is Two Lives. From KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Laura Morales. Next week on Two Lives, one man has made it his mission to rescue wild animals until one of them puts his life in danger. So we're going to try and get it down and get it some medical help, see what we can do for it. Look at that. Nice. Easy peasy. Thank you so very much. That's next time on Two Lives from KJZZ Original Productions. Subscribe and download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, please rate and review us.